0: Welcome to Love Uncensored, the modern guide to dating and relationships. I'm your host, Nicole Colantoni, a dating and relationship coach, and each week, along with special guests who aren't afraid to speak their minds, we challenge norms and expectations in love and relationships. From childhood trauma to sex, we explore the uncomfortable and unspoken, providing valuable insight and actionable advice for building healthier relationships. Join us for candid conversations about all things love, whether you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between.
1: So I've got these friends that kind of, in my book that come in and give me advice that I found really useful. But one of them I went on a breakfast with just after I met Rod. And she'd said, oh, there's one mistake that women make after they find the guy that they, they want. And she said, the mistake is to question. And that's like questioning. When you have an argument, oh like maybe there's someone else maybe he's not the one and you're imagining there's someone else out there that makes everything perfect and i can totally relate to that because i have probably at the beginning of the relationship going oh maybe it's not quite right maybe there's someone but um this is not the right person. I need to think maybe there's someone better.
0: So in this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Rebecca Campbell about her true story of finding love and happiness in the midst of a successful career. On the surface, Rebecca appeared to have it all, a flourishing business, a popular blog, and speaking engagements at conferences for female entrepreneurs. However, what people didn't know was that she felt alone and uncertain about her future. Rebecca desired to find love and start a family, family, but she hadn't been on a single date in over 10 years. During our conversation, Rebecca shares how she applied the tactics she learned from building companies to finding a man as she went on a remarkable journey of 138 dates across Sydney, New York, and San Francisco while also launching her tech startup. Together, we discuss Rebecca's experience and the invaluable insight she gained from facing rejection and heartache. Rebecca also shares her insights and advice when it comes to finding and keeping love, drawing from her own experiences and the wisdom she learned along the way. So whether you're single and looking for love or in a relationship and wanting to keep the spark alive, this episode is a must listen, especially for those who value career success just as much as finding their soulmate. Rebecca, welcome to Love Uncensored. Thanks. Great to be here. You're also the author of the book, 138 Dates, which is all about your search for love. I love the book and it was so incredibly well-written. I thought you were just this like entrepreneur. I didn't expect you to be such an incredible writer as well. How would you describe your search for love and what do you want women to take away from your book?
1: Well, there's a whole book about my search for love um it's kind of a big question I guess so I was single for a really long time my first partner you know who I met at high school and loved a lot um was killed in a car accident in my early 20s I think that really uh, and I just shut off the idea of relationships at that point I thought that no one would you if know, someone had died I thought no one would even kind of measure up or I was kind of thinking maybe I would hope someone who I would meet someone who would measure up but of course they never would because so yeah I just kind of shut it down and then I got busy as a kind of response to that through focusing on my career and then I guess the busier I got it kind of became a good excuse and then I think I became scared of you know it had been so long and I didn't know if anyone would like me Um, and I was able to have this excuse of that of being very busy starting businesses and then I got to a point where I was 34 and a half and I just thought I I was waking up on Christmas morning at my family friend's house and I was the only, I guess, child (laughs) that was still there. All of the other kids that I'd grown up with had gone and had their own families and I was still hanging out with my parents and my parents' friends at Christmas time. And I was just like, okay, this is not going to turn out the way that I hope it's going to turn out unless I make a change. And so that was when I decided, you know, right, okay, I haven't been on a, you know, I've only had one boyfriend in my life. I've not been on a single date in 10 years. I'm going to solve this problem. And so I set myself this mission of going on one date every week for a year. And yeah, I guess that is where the search started.
0: You hadn't been on a single date in 10 years. No. Wow. So were you scared to put yourself back out there? Yes, I was very scared.
1: And I had a little bit of a profile. So I was embarrassed to put myself on internet dating sites that someone would see me and go, oh, Rebecca Campbell is (laughs) like desperate kind of thing. It's just stupid. Um, But I feel like
0: everyone felt that way in the beginning when online dating became a thing. It's only like recently now that everyone's like loud and proud about meeting their partners online. But like 10 years ago, it was so. Taboo, in a sense, to admit that you're online looking for love.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did feel like that. I mean, I think even then it wasn't. It probably wasn't as taboo as I thought it was. I think in my head, I, I'd, I'd, yeah, yeah, I'd made it much bigger than it actually was. And then I was scared if I actually would anyone even. I put my photo up there. Would you know? You have no idea whether people would find you attractive. Like I always thought of myself as being this kind of unusual person, and uh, maybe no one would want to go on a date with me. And if I went on a date with me, maybe the person would think I was weird and wouldn't call me back. And <laughs> so I was scared of all those
0: things. Totally. So, did you end up enjoying online dating?
1: Sometimes it was fun to some extent. It was definitely better than it was definitely better than being single and being not doing anything. But it was also really hard that there was a lot of times where I would had you know thought that a date was going to go really well or I really liked the person and then either they didn't turn out to be what I had hoped you know you get into a conversation and you realize oh like uh, this guy's getting really drunk <laughs> Like, oh I thought he was actually quite nice but that's a shame um <laughs> there was lots of those kind of little letdowns, and then of course there was so many times where I thought that it had gone well and I was like oh I'd like to go out with that person again and then I just never heard back, and I was always left wondering like, what's wrong with me. Like, <laughs> well, what, what was the what's the reason why this not isn't calling me back? And I would then text and not get a response, and it was just very weird. And yeah, at the beginning it was a bit upsetting, I would say. And then after a while, I developed thicker skin too. <laughs>
0: I've always said that dating and particularly online dating is not for the faint hearted because of things like ghosting and breadcrumbing like you need the thicker skin because like you said you get your hopes up you think it's going somewhere and then they just disappear on you and you you don't even get any feedback you're just left wondering what went wrong it's awful <laughs> yeah yeah I mean
1: as I look back now I have met my partner and like I can look back at those dates and go oh now I understand it was never really there. You know, like I thought that there was potentially a connection or a, but now I've actually seen what a connection looks like. I'm like, okay, I I get it.
0: Yeah. So you're a dating app success, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So how old were you when you met your husband and what was it like meeting him for the first time? Right. So I was
1: 34 and a half when I started my dating mission. So that was 2012 and I went on, it was 52 dates that year, which was my objective. There was a little relationship in there, which was a disaster, which took me out for a few weeks. But then I I made up <laughs> to make sure I fulfilled on my promise to myself that I would do 52 dates in a year. So at the end of the year, I hadn't met anyone. I did the same thing 2013. So it was 2014. I was 37 when I met Rod. It was November 12- 2014 and he was my 138th date Wow wow <laughs> um, there was so much that went on like in you know and that I learned about what to look for I was looking for completely the wrong things at the beginning there was also so much that I learned about who to be in myself so it was really a journey of like finding the right person but also becoming the right person so I was when I when we met I was at a really good place it was kind of a big I guess transformational events, probably a week or two before we met, um, which is in the book. But I was really like, that was the first time I went out and, you know, I was in a really good place and he just also happened to be the right person. So yeah, I remember the first time our our eyes met and I wouldn't say it was like, you know, now I look back because I know what happened. It feels like I knew from the beginning. I don't know if it was quite that case, but definitely that first conversation we had over dinner at the winery, where uh, it was it was yeah, it just felt like it felt familiar. That's probably the best way of describing it. We were quite similar. And, you know, although we had a different like I grew up in New Zealand, he grew up in Australia, he had siblings, I'm an only child, so there's differences, but there was a real familiarity in terms of our values and what we wanted from life and
0: yeah. The important stuff,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we really connected, I would say, in that conversation. And I did walk away from that date knowing that this is the guy I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. There was no, there was no doubt in my mind after that date.
0: That early on? Yes. That's incredible because my partner doesn't believe that you can just know he's all about the slow burn. Whereas I'm a lot more intuitive and I'm like, you just know, (laughs) like you just get a feeling. It's just, yeah, like that familiarity that you were referencing before. It's like, it's just like a knowing. I can't, you can't explain it.
1: Yeah. So I would say just, it was a, it was a knowing, but it was also a decision. It was also like, I am going to make this work this like I've kind of like I guess I know the market now because I've been on 138 dates I know what's out there I know this is a good one and that we have a connection and I'm gonna whatever it takes I'm gonna make this work so that was I think it was more of an active decision that I made than it was kind of like God coming down and going you just know he's the one kind of thing yeah. It was like I'm going to make this work, and yeah, there has been. There's lots of lots of arguments all the time, but um, and it's not perfect. But there's enough there for me to be able to say, okay, this is it.
0: Totally, and I had a similar experience because I was single for nine years before I met my now partner, and during that period, my values changed, and I recognised what was important. So my partner. Like myself are by no yeah. means perfect, but I recognize that he's a good person. So I likewise to you made the decision to make this relationship work. And obviously there's been trials and tribulations, but I consciously make that decision every single day because I recognize that he is a really good person and we have the same values and we want the same thing. So it's worth investing that, you know, effort into this relationship rather than just dismissing it over the trivial stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's totally it. So I've got these friends that kind of in my book that come in and give me advice that I found really useful. So one of them, I went on a breakfast with just after I met Rod. and she'd said, oh, there's one mistake that women make after they find the guy that they, they want. And she said, the mistake is to question. And that's like questioning when you have an argument, oh, like maybe there's someone else, maybe he's not the one. And you're imagining there's someone else out there that makes everything perfect. And I can totally relate to that. Because I have probably at the beginning of the relationship going, oh, maybe it's not quite right. Maybe there's someone, but um, this is not the right person. I need to think. Maybe there's someone better.
0: I couldn't agree more, and I loved that part of your book because I've got a lot of girlfriends. Obviously, I'm in my 30s, who are you know considering marriage with their partner, and they're like, do I really want this with them? Do I really want to commit to a lifetime with this person? And they think maybe they start to question maybe there's someone better out there. And I've had to sit them down. I'm like, the grass is not always greener. And there's this really famous American dating coach who has said, if there's always going to be around roughly 10 things that you don't like about your partner. So if you then... Think that you can do better and find a new partner. What you're doing is trading those 10 things for your current partner in for another 10 things for the next person that you're with, you know? So there's always going to be on average, you know, 10 things that you just make you question whether they're the right person for you. But like you said, it just comes to deciding that, okay, this is the person I choose to be with and I'm just going to work with those 10 things rather than just dismiss them and move on to the next.
1: Yes. That's just, that's bang on right and 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 you build a reality together you build a relationship is something that you build it's not something that's just there
0: yeah yeah <clears throat> you create the perfect relationship for you it doesn't just survive
1: <laughs> yeah and love is something I guess there's another thing I was just surprised by it wasn't like I was thinking about him every moment of the day and there was kind of like some overwhelming like rush you know which is I spoke to this dating coach as well which I put some of his advice at the end of my book and he said that you know, when you feel that anxiety, it's like you when you think someone hasn't isn't calling, sorry, when you think someone is going to call you and then they don't, you think, and then eventually they turn up. You think that's passion, but actually it's just relief.
0: Um, I love that-, that as well. It's so true. So you feel like you've got this intense connection, but it's yeah. just like you're in like fight or flight mode almost.
1: Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's about that kind of attachment theory stuff. And Rod was very stable and he... You know, he would call when he said he was going to call when we would meet up and go for dates. He was always there. It was never, he never disappeared on me and it didn't feel like I had any kind of anxiety about it. And I did question at the beginning, is this what falling in love feels like? But it was just like, I described it as this kind of like rising tide of like happiness as we built this connection over time, you know, we fell in love and that's what, that's really, I think that's what love is. It's just a, something that
0: gradually grows over time. Rebecca, I completely relate because I was always used to those relationship dynamics where they were inconsistent with me. So I had those highs and lows and I I mistook that for chemistry and passion. And then my current partner was the slowest burn, but the most consistent person. And we didn't have those highs and lows. So I found myself questioning is this love? Like it just feels so normal and easy and peaceful. Like surely we should be more passionate, you know, but it's like, yeah, rewiring your brain to actually recognize what healthy love looks like and feels like, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I also asked the, um, so it was a researcher that, that I spoke to who's the world-leading researcher into romantic relationships. Wow. And he had studied the personality traits of people who are most likely to have successful long-term relationships And the number one thing was conscientiousness. So that is like the ability to commit. And I'm saying, I know it's not sexy, but steady, nitty is what you're looking for. (laughs) And it's like someone who can commit to things, someone who's reliable. Those are the kind of people that make good long-term partners. And I can tell you now we have two children together. It's like the kind of thing that
0: makes a good parenting partner. Yes, yeah. so true. I read out that exact part of your book to my partner because <laughs> <laughs> it just—it's so true. And it's like we don't value that when we're young. That's not what we look for, and then we wonder yeah. why we get in the toxic dynamics so or we're being let down all the time. It's because you're not valuing somebody who shows up and is conscientious about the relationship. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
1: So yeah, look for a um, you know, past relationship history because he'd been in two long-term relationships. But also he had done a PhD and he'd been in his work for 13 years or something at the same. So I was like, here's someone who can commit to things, um, which I think is a very good sign.
0: Absolutely. So Rebecca, throughout your book, you describe your experience as a woman in her 30s who was worried that she might miss out on the opportunity to find love and start a family. This is a common narrative uh, amongst my listeners. What advice do you have for women who are not coping with the fact that this might be their reality?
1: Well, I think you have to put yourself out there. That would be my number one thing. You know, you have got to stay optimistic. I think, I, yeah, I have this kind of optimism about pretty much everything, which can be a problem because I always think everything's going to go well and then I'll discover sometimes it doesn't. But it also means that I never thought that the, my partner wasn't going to be out there. I always thought if I keep going, I'll find him. And so, you know, that. Getting out there, like I did one date every week, always on a Thursday night. I had like lots of, you know, on all of the different apps. I was going to courses and, you know, anything I could to meet people. Uh, I did phone calls on a Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening with at least kind of three guys that I'd met during the week on the apps. And then I had one date on the Thursday. So it was kind of, I built this system and then I just kept going and going and going with it. Um, yeah. And I learned so much during the process, but I, I think that's a thing, just keep going. The other thing I'll say I see, cause I've done some like little courses with women looking, um, particularly women, not just women who are looking for a relationship um, just as a result of the book. And one thing I see that I think is a mistake is not being, not being willing to be vulnerable. Mm. So um, turning up at a date, I know that, a lot of us have successful careers and full lives, and you know you turn up at a date and you've got all of these things that are going for you that you can share. I think you've got to also have a little bit of vulnerability of the way you form a connection is people love to help and that's how you know you think of someone that you've been able to contribute to the way that you feel about that person kind of shifts so that's how you can really connect so it might you know, I'm not saying talk yourself down or anything. That's not the answer. Like be yourself. There's some aspect of your life where you're like, I'm not sure about this. What do you think? You know, having that and and allowing the person that you're talking to to contribute to you, I think is really important in terms of, yeah, forming those connections.
0: That's such good advice because I feel like so many people approach dating like an interview and they have like this. List of criteria that they feel like they have to tick off. And it's like, no, you're getting to know somebody and you're letting them in. And likewise, they should be doing the same. So yeah, I feel like that's such good advice. Thank you. And the first date, I think all you need to achieve in the first date is you want to feel like you want the other
1: person to walk away going, I really liked hanging out with that person. I can't wait to see her. I can't wait to see her again. No, right. like it's not, you don't want them to feel like, oh, I just got interviewed for an hour yeah. and a half. I was intimidated. We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I totally did this right, which is why I got lots of, you know, this is how I learned this stuff. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you want, you want the person to walk away going, that was a great night. Nice. Like I yeah. can't wait to see her again. So yeah. it's about yeah forming that connection, having the fun, you know, being positive. Yeah.
0: So true. So you also questioned if there was something wrong with you because you hadn't met your person yet, which is also a common narrative for a lot of single women. <laughs> what advice do you have for women who wonder the same thing about themselves?
1: Yeah. Well, so I saw a therapist through my journey and I have lots of her advice in my book. There was one date I went on with this very handsome lawyer right? and, and, I, and we kissed and I was like, oh my God, this, is the, this guy's perfect. And then he said, I'll, I'll call you tomorrow. And then he never called me again. And I was really upset. I thought like, what did I do wrong? I was kind of combing back through everything that happened on the night. Um, and I went to see my therapist and she said, you're just going to think of yourself as a product. And it's like, you're a product on a shelf and there's someone out there who's shopping for exactly you. And just because someone is like not calling you back doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the product, it just means they're looking for something else or they're not even maybe they're not even looking for a relationship. You don't know, like they might not even be yeah, shopping to buy. So
0: a window so that, shopping.
1: yeah, yeah, that was like that was that was um so it was revolutionary, I guess for me in terms of the way that I thought about the process and that you know, I would go on a date. I' would think, oh, he was nice, we had a nice connection, and he doesn't call me back. I'd be like, okay. He's just not looking for me. He's looking for something else. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I will find someone who is looking for me just as I am. And, um, yeah, that kind of, I guess, took the sting out of it a little bit anyway. So,
0: yeah. And surely there were lots of men that you went on dates with who afterwards you were like, yeah, not my person. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Who were really nice, like decent people. And just like, it wasn't quite, yeah, wasn't quite the right fit for me. But um, But, yeah, nothing wrong with the person at all, I'm sure. Many of them would find someone who was the right fit for them.
0: I mean, you referenced that one relationship that you had with, like, was it a kite surfer or? Oh, yeah, yes, Charlie. Yeah, and he uh, Yeah, and he was lovely, but you just there was something that you were like, not my person, and that's such a difficult decision to make. But you have to be honest with yourself. Like, yeah, you're, you're searching for a specific type of person, a specific type of feeling, and sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not and it doesn't mean that it's there's something wrong with them or you it's just that it's not a, the right fit
1: yeah yeah i mean i think he was a super nice guy um and it's hard to go why didn't that work i think that there just wasn't enough there and that i think you do have to have some similar our values were quite aligned but you know we were we had very different interests and he smoked a bit of pot and this is like that's very different to me you know and so it just was like there just wasn't quite enough to build a forever partnership. I think that was that was kind of where I got to with with that person. Whereas with Rod, it did just clicked a lot more. We're like we're really very similar and in lots of ways. I think it is similarities that make it work.
0: Totally. So I love the part of the book where you look up some of the men you previously (laughs) dated to see if they were still available. I feel like everyone who has ever been single has experienced moments of weakness or doubts like that before. Uh, If you never met your husband, do you think you would have settled? No, I don't think so. I think I would have kept dating because I still believe that, that the person was out there.
1: I do think, I wouldn't say it's settling, but I do think that seeing the um like going on all those dates gave me a good understanding of the market like at the beginning I was kind of looking for I say like Barack Obama because I'm like he's the perfect man (laughs) the reality reality is that that you know that perfect man is not out there so I think and I was a good time when I met Rod we were a very good fit but also there's lots of stuff there that's not perfect um and it annoyed me even those first few weeks but I did have i didn't know the market by then i'm like you know what even though it's not perfect he is a he's a good one and yeah, it wasn't settling by any stretch of the imagination so very deeply connected but yeah maybe if i'd met him at the beginning i might have let those little things go okay he's not the right one and moved on and tried to find the, the perfect person but yeah it was it was kind of It was good that I had all those dates and and youth.
0: Yeah, no, it's so true. I mean, at the beginning of those nine years when I was first single, I was literally looking for like the Victoria's Secret model version of (laughs) (laughs) my forever person. And then... I was just, you know, it took years for me to realize, well, am I that? No, you know, like no one is, no one is that perfect. So I, it's just, it was about reevaluating what my values and priorities were, but it takes a long time to reach that point, you know, when you can actually recognize what's important in life. And I feel like that takes life experience, you know? Yeah.
1: So I do think an important thing is, um, is finding someone who is kind of supportive of your development. And you're, I think, kind of life is for me is all about evolving as a person and learning and kind of doing different things and yeah, evolving as much as I possibly can. And I love it that Rod is really into that as well. He's always reading books and trying to learn things. We talk about things together. And he's also very supportive. Like I've decided to make a big career pivot and become a writer, which is, you know, financially quite difficult, but he's very supportive of it. And he's always asking me questions about, you know, what have I learned and what am I doing? And so I think like finding someone who you can be on that journey with is really important.
0: So Rebecca, why do you think so many women struggle with that single status?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of fear. It's hard, right? One thing I was worried about writing the book was that people were going to think that, you know, that's not a real problem. Like there's much bigger problems in the world than being single in your thirties and not having a partner. But for my experience of life, it was a real problem and it was really hard because, you know, we we do have these ticking clocks, unfortunately. I have a lot of, you know, male friends or male business, you know, who were kind of in their mid forties and were just thinking, Oh,
0: maybe I should, you know, <laughs> like uh, so unfair! so unfair they've got like a whole extra decade on us and even then they still got more time on top of that if they want to take it yeah so yeah it's hard it, for me it was
1: really hard and I think it's hard I think it's embarrassing to some extent I was embarrassed anyway when my parents friends and my parents were kind of always asking me about oh what are you doing is it some tiny any boyfriends, Rebecca? (laughs) And you're like getting into your 30s. No, no, I'm focused on my work. And no one seemed to be interested, particularly, you know, when you go to a family Christmas event, no one's interested in talking about your work. They're just
0: interested in, you know, have you found a partner yet? That's what annoys me about being a woman because I see men go to family events and everyone is so interested about their work. But as a woman who was equally as invested in her career, they didn't care and that, you know, they continue to not care. It's all about my partner. And now my partner and I are getting a dog, I never get asked about my work. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I really, I envy men in that way because I love talking about my work and I love getting other people's opinions on my work. But as a female, I don't feel like I get asked as much as men potentially do about their own careers. So I feel like that's something we struggle with that they don't necessarily struggle
1: with. Yeah. Maybe it's because everyone else knows that you've got a finite period of time to Have a family, and I think it's probably coming from a place of being worried. And I look there like, uh, you know, make sure she doesn't miss out because they probably experience it as the most wonderful thing in their life. And it was something that I wanted, so yeah, I think it was just concern as to whether I was going to miss it.
0: Now that you have had children, would you describe it as the most wonderful thing in your life?
1: (laughs) Yes, I really would.
0: Wow, it's
1: so much more than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's hard. And it's still like, so our kids are four and six and they still both climb into our bed, you know, every second night we've got at least one of them. So yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging, but it's so beautiful. And I do think for me, it is, um, I never would have thought this before. I was always going to be one of those mums that was straight back to work after having a baby and, you know, it wasn't going to impact my life too much, but it really has. Like, I want to be there when, you know, my boy finishes preschool and, and I want to take them to the beach after school. And those moments are just the most precious moments in my life. So, yeah, it really is. It's like another paradigm. That's how I, that's the only way I could describe it.
0: Yeah. No, oh, that's beautiful. So, do you think modern dating culture has made finding love more or less difficult? Uh, I mean, I think it's probably
1: easier to find someone who's kind of aligned with you and your values. And I think. I don't actually think there was anyone in those 138 or 137 pre-Rod who was quite the right fit for me, at least not to the same extent as Rod. So had we been in the kind of olden days, I might've just found someone and gone, you know, that you met at a wedding or whatever and gone, okay, this this guy seems nice and he's single and we'll just settle down together. So it was, it was, it's cool that you get options, but with those options, comes like this kind of fear of missing out of like, you know, is this the very best person or or is there someone better out there? And I could definitely feel that from others, both in me and 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 from others when I was dating, it was just bit like, oh, we're sussing each other out. Um, but it's probably someone better for me. So I think that yeah, you've got to, if you can combine those things though, have access to the options, but at some point just choose. Like this is a person with aligned values to me. And, you know, they're a good fit. We're going to build something together. I think you can have the best of both worlds.
0: Totally. What app did you meet your husband on? I met him on Tinder. (laughs) Wow.
1: Um, Of all things. I don't know if I'd be on Tinder anymore, but it was 2014 and that was the main app.
0: What advice do you have for women who are struggling with online dating?
1: Oh, look, I would just say keep going. Um, But I do think the filter that I built was quite good. So that, you know, I was messaging lots of people if anybody said anything slightly off, I would just delete straight away. Like there's no point in continuing any kind of conversation. There's so many people out there. You do not need to faff around with dicks to just delete and move on. And I already had, always had many conversations going at once. I would then kind of have a few that I would then have phone calls with on a Sunday. And I would choose one of those phone calls to go on a date with on a Thursday. I think sometimes I would do like a Thursday and a Friday if things had gone well, you know. On the calls, I would I would expand to more than one date in the week. But I think that that having a phone call first was a really good filter. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. you you learn a lot in the phone call. Like, can you actually have a conversation? Is this person serious? If they don't want to have a phone call, then they're not serious. Like about finding someone, they're either they're looking to hook up or they're just messing about having messages to people on on an app. So totally, you know, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I have kind of missed back a few times as well. That's probably another piece of advice. And then I would suggest a phone call, maybe for one day messaging and then a call, but I wouldn't be talking to someone for weeks or even probably any more than three days without suggesting a phone call. If they don't want to have a phone call after a couple of days of messaging, then they're not serious.
0: Yeah. That's such good advice. I mean, we touched on this before, but how did you handle the pressure to settle down from friends, family, or even society? Well,
1: I mean, yeah, it was. I wanted to settle down. I was just stuck. So it was really the only person that can change your life is yourself, you know. And so I had to get to a point when I was 34, which I was just it was the it wasn't like I, you know, anything really major happened. It was just the build up of um, you know, the kind of risk versus reward, the risk of putting myself out there. Well no, it was risk versus risk really. So the risk of putting myself out there and getting hurt versus the risk of missing out on having a family and you know having the future that I wanted. So there was a point which for me was 34 where I kind of hit that the risk of missing out, overtook the risk of looking stupid and being rejected. And that was kind of the point where I was like, right, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get onto this. And yeah, I'm obviously very glad that I did.
0: (laughs) And I mean, we've spoken about this too, but you've had such a successful career, which is why I was so surprised to read at the end of the book that the choice you made for your life was to find love and make a family. Would you say your definition of success changed over time?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I, I'd always thought success was, you know, making an impact on the world. Probably it was a bit about being seen to make an impact on the world and, you know, having a nice nice life. I was never massively financially driven, but having a good life, making an impact, being successful, being seen to be successful. Whereas now it's really much more about relations, it's all about relationships. It's about, it was like a really nice definition of success, which is success is measured by the amount of people that you love, love you back. And I was like, that is, that's what success I think means to me now. So I put, yeah, a huge amount of, um, importance on my relationship with my partner, Rod, and with our two children and with, you know, my family and his family. But also friendship has become something that's so much more valuable to me now. Whereas before I kind of had these friends who I'd go out with probably in my 20s and 30s and they were kind of, it was for fun and for hanging out. Whereas now I really make a conscious effort to seek out if I meet someone and I'm like, oh, she seems interesting. (laughs) I'll be like, I'll connect on LinkedIn and I'll go, hey, do you want to meet up for coffee? And I'll really try and build those friendships, I guess, in a similar way to dating um, and really valuing those close connections. I think that for me is what life is about. And I guess still having an impact is really important to me. I don't care if anyone sees what I'm doing, I love, but I love I love writing. I really enjoyed writing my book. I'm writing another book now, and I've just discovered that I, that's, brings me a lot of joy. So, yeah, I write in the mornings, and then I pick up my kids from school and spend the afternoons with them, I
0: guess. I'm <laughs> yeah, happy. Yeah, no, that's great. And looking back on your life and like how full it's been and how many things you've done and achieved, do you think women can have it all?
1: Look, I think um yes. I think it is hard when you have young children to have it all, would say and whatever all is. Um I did you know, I I never would have expected my I guess brain and priorities to change so much as they did when I had children. So I just was not that kind of person, but as soon as I had my daughter, I was like, I just really like I can't I can't explain the love. And then I had a little boy as well. I did try to go back to work after three weeks after having my daughter, and and then I discovered after about a year of trying to juggle and have her in daycare, I was just like, you know what, I I still had her in daycare but shorter hours, so I was still able to work, but I really want to be there for them, not because I necessarily think it's for them, it's for me. I want to be a part of their lives. I want to spend time with them when they're little and and so it's really hard to, you know, work the kind of crazy hours that I used to work and to fulfill that part of my life, which is a want more than more than a need. So I think that's yeah, it's just hard and it's something you just have to figure out what you want to do. Like some people want to be at home all the time and that's fine as well. It's just I've just found a balance that works for me.
0: So given your experience with dating and now being married, what does a healthy and happy relationship look like to you?
1: Well, it definitely doesn't look perfect. You know, we have little arguments and it's all the time. Like we're, you know, we're very different and I'm very optimistic and, you know, he's a bit more, I would say, pessimistic or he would say it's realistic. <laughs> but but so we, we have these little, we have little tips sometimes, but it's the the rock of it is we're both so committed to each other. So I think that is, we will always like come together after any argument and talk about or how, you know, what happened there. I was feeling like this. So I'll listen. He will listen, what listen to my perspective and I'll listen to his perspective and then we'll, you know, we'll resolve it. We'll try and come up with, okay, right. So I think that is, that's a healthy relationship, not a, it's not, not a perfect relationship. I think they're usually little things though. They're like, I'm working too late or he's spending too much time on his mobile phone or things like that. They're not, you know, deep disagreements about the direction of our life. I think the other thing that we do is that we're always talking about the future. So, and we have a kind of, you know, plan and vision that's we have our own kind of goals. We're both quite into goals, actually our own goals at the beginning of the year, which we work with each other on. And then we have kind of family, you know, partnership goals that we set together for the year ahead and we also talk about five years time and we'd really like to we'd really like She's volunteering overseas at some point okay so why, when might we do that and so we're always like yeah i guess creating a shared future i think that's really important as well
0: what do you think people should look for in a partner
1: like yeah shared values so a, a good person i think in my book I was looking for tall smart and fun which all of those things are completely ridiculous but um it's just like a nice person is really important yeah I asked my therapist at the beginning about like she does couples therapy like for people who are divorcing and I was like what what goes wrong what she's just like nice if you find someone nice you know that goes a really long way those couples where people are nice to each other they usually don't end up getting so yeah a caring person Someone who can do commitment, who sticks at things, and someone who you have some similar interests, I think that's important as well. Like, yeah, we have different, like, Rod's really into music. I'm not really into music that much, but I'm into, you know, writing. stuff. But, um, but we both like the outdoors. So, we're, you know, we're not like marathon runners or anything, but we both like going out for hikes and going on holidays to the beach. And so just like things like that actually do make things easier, totally. I think, than if you've got completely different interests.
0: What are some realistic relationship expectations? like you mentioned the tall, funny
1: um, I think listening to each other um, like when, when something goes wrong, both coming in together and like working out okay or well, what happened there like yeah I remember our first arguments was I'd invited him to an event that I was speaking in. I was running this event and so and after I'd spoken, I was running off talking to everyone and he was kind of left. And then afterwards we got home and he was really annoyed. And I was like, oh, but I have, this is my career, you know, like he's not supportive of my career. This isn't going to work. And then we kind of sat down. He's like, no, I just felt like that. Well, he explained how he felt. Then I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can understand why you'd feel like that. And then, so every time we've done been in that situation again, I've made a real effort to, you know, go and talk to him and include him and we go and talk to people together. And it's like solved, you know, so. Yeah. um, So being
0: receptive to like what the other person is thinking and feeling.
1: Yeah. And when you have a little argument, don't just go off, come together and ask each other questions. Um, What else to look for? I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, you want to have some fun together, but yeah, Rod's not the most funny person in the world. Um, We do have fun together because we have similar interests. Yeah. I mean, I think thinking about who's going to be, if you want to have children, being a good dad is really important. Someone who's reliable, who's going to like step up and have shared responsibility Um, and he's going to care about you and, you know, look after you and care about your mental health, you know, like all those things. And the other thing I think we talked about was development. So someone who supports your growth
0: and
1: you, and you support their growth. That's really, that's really important as well.
0: Couldn't agree more. Those
1: those are the fundamentals.
0: So this is the million dollar question. What (laughs) do you think the key to a happy and long lasting relationship is? Key? Um... I feel like one thing that you mentioned earlier was the, just the decision process. Like you're choosing that person. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Actually,
1: that's really good. That's what I would have said. It's about choosing someone. It's about finding someone who has, I guess the right core ingredients, like the things that we spoke about before and then choosing and going, this this is my person. I'm choosing this person forever. So, and then whenever you like think having a little argument or you think, you know, Maybe he's not quite right. You just remember, I know I've made that choice. No, it's just like that. You don't, once you've made the choice, you don't then choose differently. Um, And then just like focusing on another thing, Rod's in the book, his dad was really tragically killed in an accident a day after we met. So it was the morning after our first date. And he did, I didn't hear from him after that for 24 hours or so. Um, And then he sent me a message and said, said that his dad had passed away. And I remember sitting in my little apartment in Darlinghurst um, on my couch. And I thought, I've I've just lost my father-in-law. And I remember having this conversation with his father-in-law, who I'd never met with with his father. Just like, I don't know. I remember saying, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, I think I love your son. And I remember just saying, please let me have him. And I said, if you let me have him... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then I promise that I will spend the rest of my life making, making him happy. That would be my, I remember saying it will be my top priority every single day. And I just remember saying, please, 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 please let me have him. And just promising to make him happy. And that, I remembered that when we had our little arguments early on, I remember thinking, hang on, I made that promise. Like, um, And then focusing on, okay, how do I turn this around? How do I make this a good experience for Rod? And it's not about being a sook and, you know, like always kind of like rolling over and it's like, he does that for me now as well. It just works, but I never like get myself into a stuck state where I'm angry because I remember that promise. And I go back to prioritizing his experience.
0: I love that because it's like, you remind yourself of what's important. Even when like, you know, there's a difficult situation, you look at the bigger picture and you're like, what's actually important here? Our happiness together, the health of this relationship, as opposed to whatever detail is getting in the way of that. So I think it's a good reminder for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so why do you think so many people struggle to make relationships work? Uh, well, I think it's that, yeah,
1: the, the choose. I think people give up too quickly. Yeah, same. Um, I think people look for the wrong things in people like in their partners, they're not prioritizing, yeah, like being good at commitment, they're supporting each other's growth, they're prioritizing, yeah, maybe maybe they're good looking, or maybe they fulfill something and that's like a, a a gap that the person thinks that they have and they found a partner that that fills that gap. Um, maybe they're high status or like whatever, like I think, yeah, prioritizing the wrong things, matching the wrong with the wrong people. But then yeah, when you do find someone who's good, has the good kind of solid foundation for a relationship, I think, then throwing it away when, at the first at the first challenge.
0: Agreed. So, Rebecca, you talk about loss and grief in your book uh, and you made mention of how you lost your first partner in a similar tragic accident. Yep. What advice do you have for women struggling to get over a breakup or the loss of a loved one?
1: So there's some research that I did with it academic was on attachment theory and that you have different needs for attachment. So for example, you have like a friend who you play tennis with, you have someone who is your kind of intellectual, um, you know, stimulation. You have like, I guess in a romantic partner, you have the most, um, you know, it's it's the kind of biggest set of needs because you want someone who is kind of, you know, be a a financial partner who's going to be provide fun and be funny. Who's going to be intellectually, stimulating who's going to be a good co-parent, who's reliable, like all these different things, and when you lose a romantic partner, you have this huge sense of loss, like it is like grief, and yeah. that you know, and it's and it's about all these little attachments that you have and the different needs that that person fulfills for you. So the first step in grief is to try and get that person back because you want you want all those needs fulfilled again. But after a while, you realize they're not coming back, and then that's when you can start to have those needs met by other people. So and you, you know, I think also recognising that you're not going to get necessarily all your needs met by a single person. Like um, you might, you know, the kind of like need for kind of a creative partner and then that's not necessarily going to be your, your life partner. You might need a friend that meets that need. You know, a sports partner or whatever, that might be a different friend. Your romantic partner, there's some key things that you need to be able to do for each other but you can't expect someone to fulfill all of those needs. So yeah, identify what I identify what that person provided you with and then look for how can I have those needs met,
0: those needs met by others. It's so true. I mean, I went through that with my ex. It took me, it took me years to really get over that relationship and grieve that relationship because I was just missing what he added to my life. And yeah. I didn't have the insight or the tools or the knowledge that I have now, where it was like, I now focus on becoming the things I loved about him or finding other people to fulfill, like you said, what he provided to my life. Um, but it's, you know, it's crazy. Like I remember the first Sunday after our breakup. I felt sick because that was like our day, you know, we spent Sunday together or at least Sunday night and we, you know, ended the week and started the week together. And it was just, you just feel sick for so long that that person isn't there. And then you kind of get in the rut of like longing for that person as opposed to taking proactive steps to, you know, replacing that Sunday with maybe somebody else. So exactly. Really good advice.
1: Yeah, it is like the, it's a physical reaction. It's like you, it's putting, I guess, the, I can't remember the name of the chemicals, but into your um into your system, and that's why you feel physically sick.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Rebecca, what is next for you, and where can we find you? You've mentioned the book. Uh, uh, yes, I have a website which is
1: rebeccacampbell.com. dot com. I do some webinars occasionally. I am planning on doing some online courses at some point, but um, but right now I'm very focused on writing my second book.
0: Yeah, I look forward to reading it and I will drop 138 dates into the show notes for this episode so anyone can access it after this app. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to chat. Thanks for tuning into this guest app with the relatable Rebecca Campbell. Please don't forget to show some love for Love Uncensored by subscribing and leaving a review as well as following me on Instagram at love.uncensored.podcast or joining the private Facebook group Love Uncensored, The Modern Guide to Dating and Relationships. As a thank you, I'll give a shout out to all reviewers at the start of each episode and send a special thank you your way. I'll see you next week in another solo app.